Hey, you know, the followers of Jesus had been raised with this. If you were a Jewish young man or woman, you had been raised with a particular view of what would happen when the Messiah would come and all that he would accomplish when he appeared on the scene. And Jesus fulfilled many of those ideals. When you look at the stories of the Gospels, I mean, he did so many amazing things, but he also challenged many of what they believe, many of the things they believed. He was a powerful preacher, a miracle worker. He displayed his power and his authority over sickness and over disease, over evil spirits. He raised the dead. He set people free from the legalism of their religious system, and he taught repentance and forgiveness and love and grace and the mercy of God. He equipped average people to be used for the kingdom of God, like his disciples. Men and women followed him. Children flocked to him. He displayed authority over the forces of nature, like the wind, like the sea, like the animal kingdom. He raised the dead. I mean, really, when you think about Jesus and the account of the Gospels, everything was going along quite nicely in terms of people's expectations. On that Palm Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. The crowds had their palm branches, and they laid their cloaks before him, and they worshipped him with the praises, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like, in the eyes of his followers, things were on track. Jesus' kingdom was coming. It was all coming to a fulfillment, and then in just a mere 24 hours, everything goes sideways. That's the story of the gospel. Although he had warned his disciples, we read it this morning, it was read to us, he had warned them time and time again that he would be crucified, that he would be murdered by the teachers of the law, that he would die and he would be raised from the dead. But even though he had warned them, they were stunned when it all took place. Jesus was arrested, he was convicted and crucified over the Passover weekend, and he lay dead in the tomb. Now, of course, Passover was that time of national celebration when the people of Israel remembered the account of the Exodus. They remembered God bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, and they commemorated that escape with the Passover celebration. And for Jesus' followers, instead of it being a weekend of celebration and joy and recounting the works of God and being filled with hope for the future, instead they were wrestling with hope that was crushed. They were mourning over the one whom they loved and had worshipped as the, as the Christ being dead. Their Messiah was crucified. I mean, they had truly hoped Jesus was whom they expected and whom he claimed to be. And the Bible tells us that there wasn't a soul in Jerusalem who didn't know what had happened in the city over that weekend. His burial had happened in a hurried fashion, so those who handled his body could still participate in the Passover celebrations without being counted unclean. And so, with intentions that they return after the Sabbath, the Saturday, and finish the job of giving him a proper burial, they hastily dealt with his body. They placed him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a tomb where no body had ever been laid. And the Sabbath being a day of rest, they, their movements were restricted. Everybody laid low and, and they waited for the Sabbath to end so that they could go and properly take care of the body of Jesus. That said, the Sabbath restrictions did not stop the teachers of the law and the chief priests from going before Pilate. 
They went before him and they informed Pilate that Jesus had taught and Jesus had proclaimed that after three days he would rise from the dead. So they said to Pilate, you've got to take care of this because if, if his disciples go and steal his body, then this first deception or this second deception will be worse than the first. And so to ensure that his disciples did not steal the body and claim that he was risen from the dead, they requested that Pilate make the tomb secure. And so you know the story. Pilate gave the order. The tomb, the stone that had sealed the tomb was now sealed again with the Roman seal. The stamp of the empire was put on it. A Roman guard was posted there, 16 soldiers at least. And we pick up the story in Mark chapter 16. Check it out. Verse 1, it says this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb where, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now, these ladies were going to the tomb with a purpose. We know that. They uh, were going to see Jesus. And what's so wonderful is we know the end of the story. We know things are going to be way better than they ever expected when they arrive there. Uh, they're, they're, they think that they're going to anoint a lifeless body, and they're going to discover that Jesus is alive. And you know, there is this wonderful promise that's kind of throughout the pages of Scripture that's repeated to us in various forms, in various ways, and it, and it goes along these lines, and it's this promise that if you seek me, you will find me. Jesus said that. Those who seek, find. We read that in the law in Deuteronomy. It says, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look with all of your heart and with all of your soul. In Chronicles, it says this. If you seek him, he will be found by you. In Proverbs, it says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Well, it was very early that morning, just after sunrise, and of course, the sun had risen in more ways than one. We know that. And as these ladies approached the tomb, they, fa they faced what was an insurmountable object for them. Now, I, I love this. In the in the original language, something is expressed. They're asking this question. In English, it says this, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But there's a lot more inferred in the original language. See, that question in the Greek is communicated in an imperfect tense. It means this. That question was not asked once. That was the question that dominated the entire journey on the way to the tomb. They continually kept repeating this question. And it was unresolved in their heart, and it was unresolved in their mind. As they traveled to the tomb, this was the focus of their conversation. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? I don't know. I don't know. Do, do you think, like maybe all of us ladies together could do that? Could we do that together? Maybe we can find something when we get to the garden and we could pry it and get it to move. Maybe someone will be there in the garden to help us. And silence, I think, would come over them for a few minutes as they traveled, mourning in their hearts, and then someone would speak up again. What are we going to do when we get to the garden? Who's going to move the stone? And another lady would say, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Now, the Bible tells us that these women had seen where Jesus' body had been placed. 
On that Friday, where he had been laid, they saw the stone. The scripture specifically tells us that they saw the stone rolled into place, and the stone was very large. The the Gospel of Matthew calls it an exceedingly large stone. And it was this object that lay between these women and Jesus, an obstacle too big for them to move. And it's amazing, you know, when we think about Jesus and we think about coming to Jesus, so often we set obstacles between ourselves and Jesus. We say, this is in the way, this is in the way, I did this, this this information's in the way, these obstacles are in the way. But one of the blessings of our faith and the ways that Jesus brings perfection to our faith is to demonstrate that he does this, he demonstrates his ability to move things we can't move. Isaiah says this, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. See, the the heart and mind of human beings is this, we fixate on things all the time, but the word of God says God will keep us in peace if we trust in him. Hebrews says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And one of the ways Jesus perfects our faith is moving things that are immovable in our lives. To remove insurmountable objects, to make those obstacles instruments that demonstrate his glory and his power and his grace in our lives. The greatest obstacle between God and mankind was this, we know this, sin. (laughs) And the fruit of sin, the result of sin, death. Jesus had already taken care of that problem on Friday. He'd been nailed to the cross for sin. And I think, you know, when we think about obstacles that stop us from coming to the Lord, sometimes those obstacles in our minds become this mental block, this heart block, seemingly immovable, so massive that that we wonder, how could that issue possibly be solved? How could that problem be uh, fixed? And they stop us from coming to Jesus. And And the truth was, as these ladies, here they are going to the tomb, their conversation is dominated, but they don't know this by by the conversation about the stone. They don't know it's not their stone to move. It's not theirs to move. When we begin to make our way to Jesus in his power, Jesus always does this. He moves things out of the way for us so that we can come to him. Because his word says, those who seek me, find me. At this point, these ladies had been consumed with questions. How do we move the stone? The theme had dominated their conversation. It was legitimate. But there were more obstacles in their way that they didn't even know about. Like, I love this about this story. It's just like things are stacked against the people of God. There were facts that they didn't know. They didn't know that the teachers of the law had gone to Pilate. They didn't know that the tomb was not, that the stone was not also just simply rolled in front, but that it was sealed. They didn't know that there was Roman guards present. The, the obstacles and the stones that stand between the risen Lord and you and I are always much bigger than we think. There are always other things in play, other things at work that hinder access to Jesus. There's priests and teachers of the law attempting to seal off access, preaching legalism and demanding adherence to the law and demanding that your access to Jesus come through them. There's Rome. You know, in this story, there's Rome, which in the Bible, Rome is a symbol of 
of paganism and idolatry. And Rome put its stamp of approval on that, on that tomb. And it set its authority and said, you can't, you can't come to Jesus. There were the Roman guards, men who faced death if they failed in their assignment to protect that tomb from being opened. I think there were unseen forces when you read this story. You know, minions of Saint, Satan attempting to stand their ground and to stop the people of God from discovering that Jesus Christ had been risen from the dead. And their presence was there, those evil forces to deter the people of God and to set fear in the hearts of men, driving them away from seeking Jesus. You know, when we talk about coming to Jesus, there are more obstacles in our way than we can possibly imagine. But Jesus has removed them. When these women looked up, the text tells us that they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Check out verse 4. They looked up, and they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. I was thinking about that, you know. I've done some landscaping at my house, and, you know, some stones that aren't much bigger than this table in terms of size. I'm like, I've used the machine to pick them up and to move them, not, not tried to roll a stone like this. I can't imagine the weight what it took. Verse 5 says, and they entered the tomb and they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The stone was not rolled back to let Jesus out. I mean, this is so important to the resurrection story. They didn't roll the stone back to let Jesus out, the angels. The word of God tells us in John chapter 20, verse 19, that Jesus in his resurrection body was not subject to physical material barriers like a stone. The stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled, Jesus was already gone. The stone was rolled out, rolled away to let those women in so that they would be persuaded that Jesus had risen from the dead. And I love the surprises they face. Of course, the stones rolled away. That's surprise number one. The obstacle was removed. Everything they were so fixated on, God had already taken care of. That which had dominated their thoughts that morning as they traveled to the tomb was removed before they arrived. Matthew tells it this way. Check out Matthew chapter 2, verse Sorry, chapter 28, verse 2 to 6, it says this, And behold, we read this this morning at Gospel Rock. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. I mean, another surprise, the presence of the angel. And I love the words that the angel spoke to calm the fears of these women. They said this, don't be afraid. It's a good word for today. You know, fear has a powerful effect on the human heart, doesn't it? We're watching it happen in our world. Fear actually like detaches you, the concept of fear, biblical Fear, not like fear of God, but fear, is this concept that it detaches you from reality. It's like magic. 
Fear has magical powers over people's hearts and lives. It's like a, cast, a spell is cast over them and, and fear enchants us and we become subject to fear rather than subject to Christ. The angel spoke and said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And as soon as the angel said that, it's like the, the, the spell of fear was broken. That's what the word of God will do. It will dispel fear. God's word breaks the enchantment of fear over human hearts. So the first surprise was the stone was rolled away. Second surprise, the angels is present there inside the tomb. Third surprise, Jesus is alive. Wow. The news that Jesus is alive. He's risen. He is not here. See the place where he was laid. Check out verse 7 of Mark chapter 16. You're constructed, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter. I love that Peter is specifically pulled out here. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The angel commissioned these ladies to go and to declare to the disciples the things that they had seen and heard, to declare to them the resurrection, that Jesus was not dead, Jesus was alive. And in their message, they were told this, specifically single out Peter and make sure Peter gets it. Communicate specifically to the one who feels his denial is the worst, his betrayal is the worst, his sin is the greatest, Speak to that one with the greatest sense of failure and tell that person, Peter, Jesus is alive. You know, this is the account of the Gospels that we love so much that Peter, of course, has just walked through the deepest spiritual valley of his life. Maybe you feel like you've been in one of those this past year. I don't know. Peter had denied his Lord three times. The sense of failure that gripped his heart is like tangible when you read the scriptures, the, the, the gospels seem to leave Peter, you know, well, I think about Peter, I, I wonder if he was like at this point where like the words of Jesus hadn't set in, that he, if he questioned and he wondered if God could even ever use him again. When Jesus was arrested, all the disciples scattered. But for Peter, it was particularly painful, his experience. And the word to Peter was this, Jesus has special hope, special forgiveness. Jesus has special restoration for the one who feels that their denial is the worst. Peter may have disowned Jesus, but Peter was not disowned by Jesus. Jesus was not finished with Peter. And when the text says these ladies left the tomb and and said nothing, it's just kind of cool. The conversation has changed. On the way there, what are we going to do with that stone? On the way back out of there, they're just in fear and in amazement of all that God has done. They were, they were afraid, but the fear that gripped them was a combination of terror and amazement all rolled into one. The strange sights and sounds and everything they had seen. And I think about these women, and I think about them and I think, you know, they faced one type of obstacle on the way to the tomb. For them, it was a physical, material object. a stone. The men in this story faced another obstacle of a different kind. Check out verse 9. Now, when he arose early on the first day of the week, 
He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Mark tells us two occasions where witnesses come to the disciples and they testify to the facts of the resurrection. This is what we saw, this is what we experienced. Jesus is alive. But the disciples ignored the testimony of those who witnessed to them of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First, Mark tells us about Mary Magdalene, a great witness. Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. She had been among the women who had traveled with Jesus and his disciples, who had followed him for years, caring for his needs. She was at the cross with Jesus and his mother, Mary Magdalene had seen the place, the Bible tells us, seen the place where Jesus had been laid. She was among the group of women who went to the tomb early that morning, just after sunrise. When Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene, she thought he was the gardener. Remember that? And she questioned, have you taken the body? Where is he? And it was when Jesus said her name, Mary, that she recognized him, turned towards him and said, called him by the title Rabboni, which means my great master. She worshiped him. And and the ladies all headed off to tell the disciples the message from the angel. And, And the Bible tells us Peter and John ran to the tomb. But somewhere in the midst of that story, Mary returned to the tomb and she stood out there outside of that tomb weeping. And that's when she had her encounter with Jesus. She bent over, looked into the tomb. She saw the two angels who asked her why she was weeping. She said, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. And at that point, she turned around and Jesus was standing there. What I'm telling you is this, is Mary is an incredible witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The disciples did not believe her. There was a second set of witnesses. Um, The gospel of John calls them the, the, uh, the two men that walked on the road to Emmaus, two dudes traveling to Emmaus, walked With Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they ate with Jesus. Jesus explained to them the resurrection. He he took them on a journey through the Bible and pointed out where all of these things were prophesied that it was going to happen to him. And when they recognized him, Jesus vanished from their presence. These were credible witnesses. Mary Magdalene, these men, and the 11 disregarded the witnesses. They ignored the facts. And so when Jesus appeared to them, he rebuked them. See, the obstacle for the men was this. The obstacle for the disciples was their unbelief. They had an issue in their heart, refusal to believe. And he rebuked them for that stubborn refusal. He rebuked them for their lack of faith. You know what's amazing? Jesus didn't scold them for like taking off when he was arrested. He didn't berate Peter. You did that three times, Peter. You know, you got it coming to you. 
He didn't mock them for mourning. He didn't didn't reprimand them for allowing fear to creep into their heart. There was one issue, one thing that Jesus rebuked them for. Unbelief. Stubborn refusal to believe, a lack of faith. Yeah, they didn't understand everything. They didn't understand everything that had happened, but worse than that, worse than not understanding was their refusal to believe. And see, in those who are disciples of Jesus, a lack of understanding what God is doing is not a good enough excuse to justify unbelief. Doubts are one thing, but you know, doubts can be addressed with information. You can accumulate knowledge to deal with your doubts and to wrestle them to the ground. And and knowledge brings confidence. But this was not doubt. The disciples were not dealing with doubt. This was unbelief. They refused to believe in spite of trustworthy information. They refused to believe credible witnesses. See, their problem was a problem of the heart. And unbelief was robbing them. You know, we say that saying, there's that saying, unbelief is a thief. Do you know the solution for unbelief? Belief. (laughs) You know, sometimes stating the obvious is like really powerful. Belief. Don't live in unbelief. Believe in Jesus. And even when you can't see the forest for the trees, you have to trust in faith God's promises towards you, who he is and who he claims to be. And fear Fear can cast a spell over you. It can enchant you. But I want to tell you this this morning. This is the story of of the cross and the resurrection. Look at Jesus is worthy of your trust. And unbelief is a thief that will rob you of your assurance. It will rob you of the facts of the gospel. Look at the gospel is fact, man. Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Nobody has ever been able to disprove it ever, ever. It's fact. And the only thing that stops us from taking in that information and receiving and having the benefits of all that Jesus offers us is unbelief. And it's like a thief. It robs you of your assurance. It it robs you of trust in the facts and all the things that, that Jesus does for you. His word says this, that he works together all things for the good of those who love him and are who are called according to his purpose. Look at, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31. It tells us the response that we should have. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What a promise from God. You know, Mark's gospel tells us two groups of people in the resurrection story who faced two very different obstacles. For the ladies, it was a physical, insurmountable object, one that was bigger, one that was greater than they even realized, one that involved more things than they even understood. The men also faced a large, insurmountable object. Theirs was a heart issue, a spiritual issue, unbelief, a lack of faith stubborn refusal to believe. And the solution for both the men and the women was the same. Go seek Jesus. Go to the tomb of Jesus Christ. 
Fix your mind on Christ. Head to the tomb and see these things. You know, when you set your heart to seek Jesus, when you set your heart to honor Jesus, when your heart is intent on that, what you will discover is that time and time again, Jesus will remove the difficulties. He will remove the obstacles before you even get to them. This is where it says, if you seek the Lord, you will find him. If you look with all of your heart and with all of your soul, if you seek him, he will be found by you. The Lord says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. And church, this is the message of the gospel. This is the importance of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, between God and his creation, there was an insurmountable object that a problem that couldn't be fixed. The Bible calls it sin. And the reason Jesus died on the cross was to remove, we talked about this on Friday, a propitiation, to remove the object and to create a position of favor for creation. You can approach God and receive his favor. I have removed that which stands between you and your maker. It's like a stone that was rolled away, and on it, Jesus sits victoriously. And on his part, on the part of God, on the part of our Savior Jesus, the work is done. The punishment of sin has been settled. The wrath of God has been satisfied in his son Jesus. And the Bible tells us that there is forgiveness in and life in Jesus Christ. He has removed the barrier, and our response is this, go to him. To go to him. Our response is this, to believe, not to live in unbelief, but to believe in all that Christ Jesus has done for us. And the resurrection, this is the beauty of the resurrection. The resurrection is the proof. The obstacles removed. The resurrection is the receipt. The resurrection is the invoice stamped, paid in full, satisfied. Wrath satisfied, sin removed. The resurrection testifies to us that Jesus has removed the barrier that stood between God and man. And the Bible just says this. If you will believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's the action of belief. The action of belief. Here's the action the disciples needed to take. They needed to believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Church, no need to be afraid. We make our way to Jesus every time. And if you're with us this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, that is the gospel. It's that simple. You believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and you confess with your mouth, and the Bible says you will be saved. Sin has been removed. Sin has been removed, and so we turn from sin, and we turn in faith to Jesus, and we confess that he is Lord. He is risen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you this morning. Jesus, you're the object of our worship. Jesus, you're the one we seek today. We seek to honor you. 
we seek to glorify you. Lord Jesus, we seek to bring you our thanksgiving to say to you, thank you for saving us, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus, for bearing our sin in your body on that tree. Thank you, Jesus, that you died in our place. And thank you, Jesus, death has no hold on you. We worship you, Jesus, because you are the risen King, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, the hope of the world, and the Lord of our lives. Jesus, this morning we confess, you are Lord. God, may your grace and your peace rest upon your people this morning.